our mission is to essentially like unlock the creative potential of every creator, every fan by building what is essentially like an open Hollywood studio. Happy Friday and welcome to Not Boring Founders, where each week, Packy McCormick interviews founders that are shaping the future. Great founders have stories to tell, and Not Boring Founders is where we want them to tell those stories. This week, we welcome the founders of StoryDown, Justin and JP Alanis. Justin and JP are brother founders and each bring a different set of skills to the table. Justin brings years of financial, technology, and Web3 experience to the table. JP spent his early career in Hollywood. Together, they started StoryDAO. StoryDAO is a new kind of production studio where individuals have the opportunity to collaborate with established Hollywood writers and artists to create and co-own the next generation of culturally relevant story franchises. But before we get to that story, a quick word from our sponsor of all of season two of Not Boring Founders, FTX US. Folks, it's been a rough week out there. There's no denying that. And during times of uncertainty, you flock to quality. And in crypto, FTX is about as quality as you can get. The FTX app is the best place to buy, sell, and hold Bitcoin, Ethereum, and Solana. You can trade NFTs with no fees, and you can even trade stocks. All of this with little to no fees. You can easily withdraw funds at no cost. If you're a longtime holder, FTX is where you want to be. Download the FTX app today using the link in the show notes or go to the app store and use code NOTBORING when you sign up. Once you trade $10, you'll get free crypto. That's code NOTBORING, all one word. Stay safe out there and thanks to FTX for sponsoring conversations like today's with StoryDAO founders, Justin and JP Alanis. Welcome to episode one of the X-Part series with StoryDAO founders, Justin and JP Alanis. Justin and JP, great to have you on Not Boring Founders. This is one I've been excited about for a really long time. As someone who kind of tells stories, understanding where storytelling is going is, uh, and the way that you guys think about it, I think it's going to be one of the fun conversations I've had in a while. Thanks for having, for having us. Yeah. So I'm going to start in a place that I always start which I don't know if that's good or bad for a story, but I'm going to start in a place where I'm going to start and ask what the world looks like in 10 years if StoryDAO is wildly successful. Yeah, so StoryDAO's mission is to create an open Hollywood studio and platform where any creator can build and own premium content without the restrictions that exist today. So in 10 years, with the help of StoryDAO, I think content ownership, distribution, and consumption will look completely different. And I hope that in 10 years, the next generation of really amazing creators, the next George Lucas, the next Steven Spielberg, will be found via this platform. Um, I also think that in the future, content itself is going to look different. And I think that's going to be because of Web3 and StoryDAO. When you think about it historically, there have really been two things that actually fundamentally change what content looks like. Those two things are new technologies 
and new funding mechanisms. When I was growing up, TV looked completely different than it looks like today. Uh, Television was episodic. Uh, Every episode was its own contained story. You think of something like The X-Files, which was more or less Monster of the Week, um, until a new technology arrived, the DVR. And together with the DVD, it allowed people to catch up mid-season. It allowed people to catch up between seasons. It really ushered in the age of of serialized television. Uh, You think about Lost, where every episode ended with a cliffhanger. Uh, And then you had upstarts like HBO uh, that said, we're going to change the funding mechanism here. We're not going to take advertiser money. Uh, We're going to do subscription. And that allowed TV to not play into ad breaks. It changed the content. And it ushered in some really, really amazing things. It ushered in The Sopranos, The Wire, really the golden age of television. And after that, you had a new technology that started to come along. Uh, It was the internet and streamers. They ushered in a completely new way to consume content. You could binge it. And the content looked different. Binge content looks and feels different. And I think Web3 is that next big technology that will disrupt media. NFTs will be the new funding mechanism. And out of that, a new type of content is going to be created. So that's just a super long way of saying in 10 years, content is going to look different um, than it looks today. And I'm really excited to be a part of of changing what it's going to look like through StoryDown. I think there's also a third element that Web3 uniquely captures that traditional media doesn't capture, which is the power of the community. Today, you know, fans have a fairly linear relationship with the content where creators and studios create that content and then they push it down to a fan audience. And Web3, we feel fundamentally changes that. You know, NFTs create this ownership and programmable membership layer. And then you've got fungible tokens that represent a community-owned digital good. And ultimately, what that unlocks for us is that the community can actually start to become a central part of the story-making process. So we're really excited to see what that can unlock from a storytelling perspective. It's funny that you chose X-Files as your example. My first AIM screen name was X-Filed Out because my babysitter asked me about my favorite TV show and my favorite band. And I said, X-Files and No Doubt. I was like seven, so please don't judge me. The thing that you like lose from, I think, then to now, right, is that like kind of communal aspect or that feeling that everybody's watching the same thing at the same time. And what I'm hearing, I mean, what Justin just said kind of on the community side is like, maybe you can get that back a little bit. Maybe it's not the whole world watching something, but it's like a group of people that you know are fully vested in something. Is that one of the elements here? Because it does feel like, you know, the thing that we've lost in the, beyond TV, like the national conversation, I think lost that a little bit. It can Web3 help bring that back here? Yeah, you know, I definitely think that's the case. You know, with Web3, the thousand true fans, and you've talked about this a lot in your writings, the thousand true fans really speaks to the heart of Web3. If you look at the kind of history of television and the way that JP talked about it, and you look historically at the 20, 30 million viewers that tuned in for Dallas every week, they had to get those massive numbers of viewers in order to monetize through ads. And then you had HBO and Netflix come along with a subscription business model. Uh, They were able to make a lot more revenue with a lot fewer viewers on a per episode and per title basis. I think Web3 actually takes that to the next level where because it's owned by the entire community, 
And because the community can participate in the upside of the entire platform, you really only need that thousand to 10,000 true fans in order to create something really powerful from an economic perspective. I saw a stat the other day in the A16Z state of crypto market presentation that showed that the average NFT creator in the NFT space is making something like $175,000 versus $650 for Spotify and $2.50 for YouTube creators. That's a really, really powerful paradigm shift. And what that unleashes in terms of both creativity and the type of content that you can produce is going to be massive. Where does the money come from? Like, this is always kind of my my question in, in Web3 projects is like, if there's not this big pool of exogenous ad capital or subscription cap, like, where's the money coming from to fund this? Is it just that there's something like that those thousand true fans are willing to pay a lot more as long as they get to participate? Or is there something that's being created that drives in more money from the outside? It's a culmination of, of a number of things. NFTs present a huge opportunity as a funding mechanism. If you look at what happened with Proof and, and Moonbirds recently with Kevin, and, and you look at just how much money they've raised over the last week and the, what they're doing from a secondary perspective, from a royalty perspective, it's game changing. It takes them off of kind of from its early days at dig.com where he talks about the drip of ad revenue and moves it into a membership economy where people can buy those NFTs, trade them, participate in the upside and ultimately participate in the narrative or in the, in the fabric of the community and helping build that out. And so the NFTs offer a huge upside potential, both upfront revenue and then residual ongoing royalty revenue is the first thing, right? But also IP can, continues to be IP. And that IP continues to be incredibly valuable long-term. So as the community creates this really robust intellectual property, that has tremendous value from if, if the community decides to license it in some meaningful way to external distributors, you could still do that. You could create your own content internally as a community as well and, and monetize that in some way. Use a token for gating that content in some unique way. And that that promotes the the, the demand for you know your token and the NFTs as a result of the structure of the ownership economy that happens within the IP creation process. So I think people might be able to figure it out a little bit from what we've been talking about, but what does StoryDAO do and what is it going to do? And who are both of you? Totally. Where should we start? Should we start with StoryDAO? Should we start with us? What do you hear the story people? I don't know, wherever you think it's best to start. Okay, well then I'll start with the story. You know, JP gave a really memorable speech at my wedding. And I talked about how different we are as people, but yet despite that, or maybe because of it, uh, we're incredibly close. Now I was a baseball player in high school. JP was a stand-up comedian and the lead in all the plays. I boxed at Notre Dame, a JP sang acapella at USC and studied film. I tend to be more intense, let's say, and JP's really laid back and creative. JP's from the entertainment world and I come from the web three world. So you know, we make this really interesting blend of skills and personalities that makes everything feel really frictionless most of the time. Being able to have foundational trust with your co-founders is super critical. And as a brief background on myself, you know, I started in private equity. Actually, when I graduated from ND, I moved to San Francisco and I, I caught the tech bug. And so I left my PE job and I started a company called Rentlytics. It was a data analytics company for large real estate private equity shops. I ran the business for over five years. We hired some amazing people, had customers like Blackstone, BlackRock, Starwood Capital, AIG. And the business was acquired in 2018 by a publicly traded company. You know, throughout my time as an entrepreneur, I was interested in crypto, but never really had the time to dig into it. 
So in 2018, I started to really dig in and understand it better. And I started to really believe that crypto offered this foundational infrastructure that was superior to our existing financial and coordination systems. And it was around that time that my cousin, Roniel Rumberg, who's the founder of Audius, encouraged me to apply to MetaCartel Ventures, which is a DAO that invests um, on a collective basis. It's one of the earliest investment DAOs. So I applied and I was accepted and that got me exposed to an incredible network and early stage companies that helped me start to pattern match and learn more about the space from the people building in the space. It was through MCV that I met Jess Sloss from Seed Club, and that was where I first learned about social tokens and the future of DAOs. I saw Seed Club as this vehicle to develop an even deeper understanding of the space. And I wanted to see the strengths and weaknesses of the DAO space, understand the NFT landscape, and ultimately it got me even a deeper network in the space. So, you know, I was playing around the metaverse, I was buying NFTs, I was contributing to DAOs, and I've always been a builder, so I was waiting for my moment and I knew it would come. Then I read this article uh, on Future Blog, which is the A16Z blog, and it was called Fantasy Hollywood. And it summed up just so much of what the trend was at the time and what was possible with NFTs in Hollywood. And I sent it to JP and it was like an instant hook, right? <laughs> like he wrote me dozens of texts. He started to lay out the foundations of the ideas that would become StoryDAO. It was actually a pretty inspiring and incredible moment for us as brothers to have this seed of an idea from an article that started to morph in real time to something pretty formidable and super interesting that was at the intersection of both of our interests. Jet Sloss is, is one of the absolute best people in the world. One of the reasons I went so far down the rabbit hole was an early conversation was with Jess when he like saw an inkling that I was kind of getting excited. He reached out and he's like, any questions, anything I can do, let me know. And, and he's been phenomenal. So it's cool to see that that's like a, a common thread that we have. JP. So when you hear your older brother saying you've been working in Hollywood, you got to get into Web3, what were you doing before and what were your thoughts when he, when he first brought it up? Yeah, so I've spent my entire career working in entertainment. I graduated USC. I studied film. I was super excited about the TV development executive I was going to be. Um, I was going to shepherd in new ideas and really foster creatives, that really bright-eyed, bushy-tailed version of what I thought a, a television development executive uh, was. Um, immediately went to go work at Lionsgate Television, worked on some really awesome shows, uh, Mad Men. I saw Orange is the New Black being developed from a book to Netflix's second original series. But pretty quickly, I got disillusioned with the entire development process. Uh, it wasn't as creator-friendly as I thought it was going to be. And that was at a really unique time in the media landscape. Um, you know, Netflix was just starting to make original shows. Uh, streaming was just starting to be a thing. And I was really fascinated by the direct consumer um, idea um, that, that the internet presented all of these new ways to deliver content to people and how that could really open things up to creators. Um, and so I ended up diving really headfirst into the digital space. Uh, I really wanted to learn how content could be delivered to people in new and interesting ways. Uh, met Lloyd Braun, who was the former head of ABC, went to go work at Lloyd's uh, company, which was this sort of new age media company. And he introduced me to Tyler, the creator. And Tyler, I think at that time was 
feeling like he wanted to do things in a different way. He had this show on Adult Swim, but Tyler's not the kind of guy who loves getting notes on the stuff that he creates. And so I think he was looking for a new way to distribute content and to really make whatever he wanted to make. And Tyler had a big enough audience uh, where he could go direct to consumer. So uh, I really attached myself onto that project. And together we built essentially a mini Netflix for Tyler. Uh, first to market in that celebrity direct to consumer space. Uh, we called it Golf Media. Um, and on Golf Media, we were able to do a lot of really cool stuff. Um, we really created an amazing community uh, around Tyler. It was really a DAO before DAOs. Um, we made like sh 30 short form original shows um, and studios and networks uh, started to call us about making those shows into full scale television shows. Uh, and those are things that they never would have even heard pitches of months before. So it got me really fascinated with the idea of incubation of IP in order to subvert the gatekeepers that exist around Hollywood. What do they see yeah. after you could develop the show's gone direct? Is it just that they're like, oh, wow, Tyler's fans like the content that they've made and there's something there? Is it just like there's something different between the pitch and actually seeing it's like what convinces them? Because to me, like, from the outside, it, I just rather buy it cheap before it goes to his audience, if you know that he has a passionate fan base, like what are they missing? Yeah, I mean, uh, these people get pitched stuff all day, every day, right? So it's like constantly incoming. And I think they want to place their bets on things that they really think are going to pop. And sometimes they just can't see the future, you know? Like it's, it's just impossible. So you have to show them what that future is. You have to show them what that show is. You have to create this proof of concept. You have to create community around the thing that you're doing and then you can bring it to them and say this is not just theoretical you know yeah this thing exists people love it and now you should buy it and then you should let us make it our way because we've already done all the legwork so we have but it's got a lot more i was oh, gonna yeah. ask if it's exactly just like startup investing where if you have that early belief it's going to be a cheaper deal but you're taking more risk and then later and later you can just you know you're investing in something de-risked over time it's it's not necessarily more expensive, but you might uh, have less control okay. right, as the network, right? Like you, you don't have as much control possibly over what gets created. You also might not have the underlying ownership of what that is because you created it in a different medium before. You didn't pay for the development of it. So it's, it's, like, it's almost like a book. It's like optioning a book instead of creating a, uh, a series uh, from the ground up. You own all of the underlying IP. But when you license a book, the book still retains or has the possibility of retaining some of that underlying IP. Got it. So just through the process of working with Tyler in this way, I got fascinated with the idea of incubation of IP. And my brother obviously knew that. Uh, and he just kept this steady drumbeat of Web3, Web3, Web3. You got to know about this. And it just took sending me that article, honestly. Uh, for it to really unlock uh, in my head. And the deeper I got, I think it spoke to everything that I had been trying to achieve for the last 10 years. I was finding super sneaky ways around the gatekeepers that exist in Hollywood 
And uh, I really believe that Web3 is just a whole bunch of dynamite that's going to blow the gates right off of these gatekeepers. It's so cool. I mean, I feel like there's a couple of different ways that you can get in there. There's the Justin and I way, which is the businessy person outside investor who like gets excited about this new thing. And then there's the practitioner one where it's like, damn, I was trying to solve this problem and I could not figure out how to solve this problem. And then I found this thing and like, this is actually the tool that that allows me to solve this problem that feels like kind of your case here. And, and I think those end up being, you know, certainly I'd rather invest in someone like that than someone like me. What did you turn that into with, with StoryDAO? Like, how are you fixing those problems now? Yeah, absolutely. So StoryDAO essentially is a radical experiment in community world building. Our vision is, is to create a platform where communities can come together to create contribute to, and ultimately be co-owners of story-based IP. And when we say story-based IP, you know, we mean creating big culturally relevant franchises and brand names like Star Wars, Pokemon, The Simpsons. And so that's what we're going to be making. And, and what StoryDAO is going to do is really create the foundation for these story universes in collaboration with some of the best creators in Hollywood and amazing visual artists. And that creative, that core creative team is going to tell a story that takes place within that narrative universe in a super engaging, immersive way that can really only be told in this new paradigm, that can really be yeah. only be told in Web3. We're calling that the core narrative that exists within uh, that story universe. And once that core narrative is built out, we can start to invite and incentivize a larger community of, of people and creatives from all around the world to collectively build out those universes into extensive IP. I remember before I spoke to you guys, I was like, damn, decentralized storytelling sounds like a shit show. Like I'm picturing, I think when people hear decentralized storytelling, I'm picturing like if I just opened up a Google Doc and was like, hey, everybody, we're writing an essay on this topic this week, like, get in there. That's obviously not what you guys are doing. Like, how do you think about the structure and where you're using different Web3 tools? And what's the responsibility of the core team and the responsibility of the community? Like, what does decentralized storytelling look like in the StoryDAO world? Well, let me say first, like, I think that there has been decentralized storytelling, just not in Web3. Yet. Like, there are plenty of examples where communities have kind of come together to create a big piece of IP. And Justin can talk about how we're specifically doing it within StoryDAO, but just like in general, there's so much creativity going on online. You know, you think about writing communities that have already generated big IP. You know, Slenderman is obviously yeah. a product of the creepypasta community. There's fan fiction communities on, on every piece of IP ever. You know, Fifty Shades of Grey started out as Twilight fan fiction. And so there's all of this creation that's happening online already. And people are basically doing this for fun. They're doing it in their spare time and they're doing it for free. And, and we want to create an incentive structure to help reward that type of creation, create community around these things so that community can help filter all of the best ideas and, and move those ideas forward. And our mission is to essentially like unlock the creative potential of every creator, every fan by building what is essentially like an open Hollywood studio. 
And Justin can talk about specifically how we're going to be doing that at StoryDAO. There's one one thing there that is, I think my question on a lot of a lot of Web3 projects, and I think it's just something you have to be like super thoughtful about in the beginning, which is you mentioned these communities coming together and doing this thing just for fun and and out of just like love of the IP and and for free and all that. How do you balance capturing that like creativity and just like pure love for the IP and wanting to like contribute to something with putting, you know, a a price on it or with incentivizing people, it feels like a tough balance to get right. I think it's by making them fans first. There's more, I think there's more stuff going on around fan fiction than there is around sort of like open writing, right? And and that's because you have a fan community that has something to latch on to. And I think creating that is is super important. And so the ability to sort of create story universes in a sort of centralized way first to tell a story that is super engaging that takes place within that narrative universe to make people fans first is I think the best way to make the creative process fun and not for it to feel like this is something that's people are grinding on, you know, like they're just doing this as a job. I think it's really to make them fans first. Makes sense. And Justin, how are you doing that? Yeah, sure. So I think this is one of the more interesting and unique elements of what we're doing at StoryDAO. StoryDAO really lives to incubate and launch new story universes. And these story universes will all live within their own DAO structure, and they'll be decentralized and permissionless. And each DAO will be governed by a set of NFTs of the characters and the things that inhabit that world, where we're trying to embed all kinds of different utility into the NFTs. And so in our first production, we're going to be launching a new universe that will be created by these incredible artists out of Los Angeles, and we're pairing them with an amazing writer who we call our story architect. We'll be announcing more on this collaboration soon. I think people are going to be really excited about it. But the idea is that they come together and they almost have a comic book type of relationship where they start to create the spine of this narrative universe. We then build out a writer's room for the story universe to start to piece out that story in a way that's uniquely enabled by Web3. And what I mean by that is that we infuse all kinds of interactive, immersive, and Easter egg elements into both the storyline and the NFT strategy. We have people from StoryDAO in the writer's room from our engineering team, our experience team, and also someone to represent the community in that room. And the writer's room ultimately gets final say, at least initially, in terms of what makes it in its way into core canon. And we're developing a legal infrastructure, though, to enable almost like a minor league, major league type of model where the creators who are part of the community can create on an open and free creation basis, similar to the way that they're creating right now within fan fiction communities. But we'll also have bounties that come from the writer's room for the community, as well as community-supported proposals. So there'll be this top-down and bottoms-up structure in order to engage the community in this creation process. Our ultimate goal is that all of this creation will eventually all be community-owned IP and that the community will be able to dictate the path forward for how these story universes ultimately get created. You've mentioned the term story architect a couple of times. What is that role? Yeah, I mean, it's really our our chief creator, right? And like in a TV show, your chief creative is is really called a showrunner. That's, you know, the person whose job it is to hire all the other writers and hire all the directors that are going to do your episodes. It's really like the CEO of a story, essentially. Showrunner just didn't feel like the right 
term for us. This is not TV. This is creating IP from the ground up. And, and we really kind of went to work on what's the right term here to call the sort of chief creative. And, and we landed on story architect. It feels, it feels right to us. Like this is the person yeah. that's building the skeleton of the story, the scaffolding of the story, and then, you know, really inviting community and really anyone to come build on top of that. It just seemed like the right term to us. I have this thesis that essentially like the gap between story and execution is shrinking now. Like the more APIs and tech that makes things easy and safes and like easy to set up entities and all of that that happened, like going from a story in your head to an actual thing is shrinking to days, if not less. I think the architecture that you're describing, like having this kind of chief architect or story architect role that other people hang things off of, feels like it's not just going to be something that applies to storytelling, but feels like, you know, maybe the DAO structure certainly probably needs something like this and just company building in general becomes the story architect plus a bunch of other things plugging in. Yeah, you know, we really believe in the role of the visionary, right? The auteur, the person who has all the pieces in his or her head and wants to map all those pieces out and set a direction for the business. You know, we talked about Jess Sloss, right? Jess is a visionary, but he does this amazing job of creating new leadership within C-Club. So I think that the goal for all DAOs is not to stamp out this type of leadership in favor of conformity, but rather to create and reproduce leadership throughout the entire organization. But this is really hard. And so as a result of that, we're personally really big fans of progressive decentralization. Some things we feel are just done better by a small group of people who are paid to do that job and can move really fast to get from zero to one. In my experience, communities are terrible at going from zero to one, uh, but they're much better at going from one to many. This is kind of the core thesis behind how we're structuring StoryDAO. Uh, I've also seen within DAOs that taking part-time participants and making them productive is really difficult. There's a lot of noise in there because DAOs are ultimately not autonomous. People are complex with lots of emotions, time constraints, different tech fluency, different Web3 fluency. And coordinating that many people is really difficult, especially with the nascent stage of the supporting technology in the space at the moment, which is improving and a lot of investments going into it, but it's still early. So... We're really leaning into community aspect for very specific needs initially. We don't expect, for example, the community to build out the DAO or the tech or the op stuff, like accounting and financial forecasting. Instead, we're engaging the community in a much more narrow context through a create to earn model and a solve to earn model where people can come into the DAO, experience the stories and get caught up easily and start to contribute. It's just really, really hard as a DAO member to come into a DAO and expect to contribute meaningfully where months, if not years of communication history is buried in Discord, Discourse, and dozens of other places. So we're really focused on making these DAOs really accessible and having easy attachment points. And we want to reward the right behavior within the DAOs. You know, we're working, for example, with Passage Protocol, which is this membership reward system that uses NFTs, badges, rank, ranks, things like that within our DAOs, so that the best contributors are properly compensated for the work. And we feel that this reward mechanism will play a big part in our future decentralization at the story level as well. Is there a world in the future where you fully progressively decentralize where you don't need a story architect, where it can just be this swarm and like there's GPT-3 and Dolly and, you know, Dolly 7 and some software that kind of helps coordinate and like, is that ever going to be the case? Or do you always, do you think, need a story architect? I'm honestly not sure about that. I mean, I feel like stories are the most human thing in the world. Um, and the idea of a machine telling me a story 
is not the most appealing thing to me. Um, I, I, I'm still a big believer in the idea of an auteur. I really do think the best stories are created from auteurs. Um, you know, I talk about Lost a lot because it's the best. I mean, uh, it's what inspired me to do television. Uh, I was the president of the Lost Club in high school. People used to come over to my house and watch every episode. But the the problems people had with Lost um, was that there was no end in sight, right? They were just like, these people are making this shit up as they go along. Um, and And there was no sort of centralized vision for where the story was going to go or how it was going to end. And so I think there has to be room for an auteur uh, to really have a centralized vision for where a story is going. There's like the George R. R. Martin kind of giving the showrunners the ending of Game of Thrones. So at least they have like a direction. Yeah, exactly. I think, I mean, I think there's a place for choose your own adventure stories where it just kind of meanders. But I think the best stories come from those singular voices. If I think the best thing is if you can create a story from a singular voice that really establishes that universe that allows people to latch onto it, that creates this world where people are also allowed to tell their stories within that world. That's the coolest thing to me. And I think that's really what we're trying to do here. Maybe there's this idea that that's been the only thing that we've had, like the coordination technology to be able to do is this like auteur based storytelling, but like maybe at some point in the future, like, there is this whole other level of storytelling that's yet to be unlocked. Twitter is the most interesting story in the world that Elon Musk is buying this thing in public and all this stuff is happening in real time. I guess maybe a little auteur driven and that there's some real central characters to it. But I wonder if there's the other approach, which is completely bottoms up, almost like Twitter is that you can then like push into one narrative i feel like that definitely will exist for sure i think we just have to create like the tooling to get there so one of the things that happened i, I think we're releasing this in early may but we're recording this a little bit earlier and one of the things that happened in the past week is that netflix completely ate it it missed on subs and now everybody who was a big netflix bull like a week and a half ago is like yeah i knew this model was dead and and there's this content bubble that's happening and of course, just like Quibi, where if you're competing with TikTok and free user-generated content, even Netflix is in trouble versus that world. What is the current state of the media landscape? Where do you see all this setting right now? Totally. I mean, it's super interesting what's going on in, in the landscape right now, especially in the last couple of weeks with everything that you said and also with CNN Plus shutting down. <laughs> which that, is, was, that one we knew was going to fail. That one we knew was going to fail, but it, I didn't think it would be shorter lifespan than Quibi. <laughs> I think a lot of people would argue that we've been in a content bubble and it's about to pop in a pretty significant way. We've been in land grab territory for so long in, in content where companies are just spending so much money in order to enter the space, to establish a foothold in that space. And that can't last forever. You look at the history of, I always go back to like the history of media. It's like where I love to live. But you look back at the history of media and the content industry, and it basically just vacillates between periods of mass consolidation and periods of mass disruption. The disruption events are, are where creators are able to benefit the most, and the consolidation events are where creators get totally fucked. I'm sorry, <laughs> I don't know if we can... We can curse here. Okay, but you know, you think about like 
what the television media landscape looked like 40 years ago is really dominated by three major players, three distributors. You know, you had ABC, NBC, CBS. And then there was this huge disruption of that, the advent of cable. And suddenly there were all kinds of networks catering to smaller, more niche audiences. You had MTV, you had Comedy Central, you had BET, you had Nickelodeon. And it was such a good thing for creators because not only were they getting more opportunities to sell stuff to other networks, but it was great for content because you could ha create content that didn't have to appeal to everyone. You could create content that's only going to be watched by a certain demo. And, and that was an amazing unlock for the kinds of content that was able to be created. But as time went on, all of those cable networks started to consolidate under major parent corporations so that they could make better deals with advertisers and they could make better deals with cable distributors. And then suddenly, you know, you have all these brands, but there are only a few major players again. And then lo and behold, streaming, right? Like you, you have this mass disruption event. And then creators are getting opportunities they'd never had before. You know, you have huge players with a lot of money entering the space. Netflix, Amazon, Apple, you know, Facebook was entering for a while and then retreated and YouTube the same. But in the last kind of four years, you're seeing the consolidation happen again, right? Disney buys Fox. Discovery buys Scripps Network in 2018 and then merges with Warner Media. Viacom and CBS remerge. You know, they're called Paramount now. And even the streamers are getting into the consolidation, right? Like Amazon buying MGM. I don't think it's crazy to think that Apple's going to make a big acquisition soon to like really you think they're going to make the Netflix acquisition, like just go go off. Um, all out? I don't know. Maybe that's crazy. But yeah, I mean, I think what's more interesting, I mean, we could talk about that, but I think what's more interesting is for Apple to acquire a library that doesn't have like distribution hmm. or like really great distribution. Yeah. I, I think it's more likely that it's like a Lionsgate, something that has like a huge, huge content library that they can just tap into and add to their platform or AMC to some extent, maybe something like that. Isn't Netflix also kind of fucked because the fact that like they're competing against companies that like their primary business model is actually not selling content. It's like, oh, cool, subscribe to Prime and like we'll also throw you all this content or like buy our $800 phone and like here you go, here's a bunch of content. And then they have to be out there competing and being like, no, 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 we're just the content piece. Like pay us, pay us for that. No, I mean, absolutely. And I think what you're going to see is as these distributors start tightening their belts, they're going to look for like more sure things too. And that's going to really mess up creators. And, and Netflix, in order to stay competitive, has to spend so much money to like retain the best creatives. And that's like overhead money. We're talking about overall deals. We're not talking about money going into creating content. We're talking about money that's being used to make sure that the best creators don't go anywhere else. Like defensive money. Exactly. It's defensive money. So you pay all these big creators massive amounts of money for exclusive rights to whatever they create. And then you're paying them on top of that to actually create that content. And so all of the money that Netflix is going to spend on content, it gets ballooned to the top to like the best creators. And all of these other creatives are left to kind of like fight over the scraps of what's left. Netflix has created like a different model of paying people for their content and streaming has done that in a really big way. And not all of that has been good for creators either. When you used to sell a TV show, you used to license it to a network for like a certain amount of time. 
And that license was usually just like in the U.S. market. Yeah. And so after that license window, you know, you could go sell your show into syndication. You could go sell it into other territories. And that's where a lot of the opportunity was for creators to kind of make big money in Hollywood. But Netflix changed all of that. Streaming is global. They want your content in their library in perpetuity. And they'll pay you a premium for that up front. Like you'll make 20% more up front than you used to make but you'll never see a cent in residual revenue. So like Jerry Seinfeld made all his money on, on like the residual revenue, right? Like wasn't it like- Exactly. Yeah. Like friends money. We're talking about like all of that is gone. So right? they made Streaming. like a million dollars an episode, but the real money was was after the fact, the years and years and years that friends was all over. All they're the still day. getting, they're still getting those big checks, but you know, streaming changed a lot of that. Streaming has been good to an extent, right? Like- I think it's given a lot of creators a platform that where they, you know, usually wouldn't have a platform. I think that's especially true for foreign language content. Foreign language content did not have a big life you know, in the U.S. at least before Netflix. And then you started to get these shows like Money Heist and Dark and Squid Game. But if you look at Squid Game, the guy who created that got paid not a lot of money, honestly. And it becomes this global phenomenon and he participates in zero percent of that upside so i think creators are looking for like alternate ways of of creating stuff you know especially as there becomes fewer and fewer buyers out there and and they want deals where they can participate in the upside of what they create which i think is fair in this, and, and web3 provides that yeah i was gonna say in the story now world do they get nfts out of treasury or a certain amount of tokens like how do you make sure that the creators share in the upside? Yeah, you know, that's one of the more interesting components of this new medium and these new funding mechanisms. There are so many different places to earn throughout the model, both upfront and ongoing through royalties. Our story architects and artists are compensated in a number of different ways. They can be compensated through a combination of upfront payments and dollars, getting some of the NFTs from the project, getting a percentage of the upfront NFT sales, getting a percentage of the ongoing NFT royalties, and then they can also participate in future IP licensing royalties and potentially even storied out equity. So these big creators who are getting squeezed by the traditional system see what we're doing as not only a way to unleash new forms of creative expressions while working with an amazing community of people helping push this content forward, but they also get to market way more quickly and they have a better payment model where both upfront and residual payments come in almost immediately through the form of NFT sales and resale. For the community creators, we're going to give them a creator token that is soul bound through a proof of creativity model. This will be attached to their membership and it will confer special rights within the DAOs, including giving them access to things like discounted mints for future story NFTs, exclusive access to merch. Also, creators will begin to put forth proposals and answer bounties within the system. And there will be rewards embedded into those, including future NFTs, ETH, perhaps stables, maybe eventually even our own token. And we see that this token will likely play a big role in our future incentive model. And our hope is that it represents all the value of the IP within the entire ecosystem. Then let's say one of the community creators develops a new story branch. So think of like the Mandalorian in the Star Wars universe. And the writer's room can decide to support that production. And then that community member can participate in the NFT and IP royalties through templatized agreements that we're structuring that eventually we'd like to get all of this on chain as well. So last question here, guys, 
So what's on, on the roadmap for the next kind of like three months? Who's involved? Who's getting involved? What can we expect out of StoryDAO? And, and where can people find you? Yeah, we're really excited about the next few months of StoryDAO. And we're starting really by leaning into activating the brand and starting to build out a core community. We've already started that process with our, our initial fundraise that included some amazing people and funds from both crypto and Hollywood, of course, including you, Packy. And we're continuing that by selling now a producer NFT. It's a GIF of our opening credit scene. So think of a scene that represents something a little bit like the Pixar lamp stomping on the eye. It's a very cool and amazing animation. People should go check it out. It's at storydow.xyz. We have an allow list live on our website now. So if you feel that you can contribute meaningfully to our community, go sign up, please. Um, that membership token will confer rights to people for free, guaranteed, and discounted mints for future productions. It'll also confer rights towards exclusive access to merch, parties, VIP access to Discord and Telegram, access to our creators. And then we're thinking about also implementing and introducing special rarities for our future collections that these producer tokens will get access to as well. So very much taking kind of the Kevin Rose proof model and starting to create community around what we're doing at the StoryDAO level. So that's going to be dropping probably within the next month, month and a half. And then in mid-June, we're doing a really exciting NFT NYC activation. We're working with the House of Yes to create an immersive and engaging experience on the streets of New York City, around the conference, in the conference, it, when people are waiting in lines, at conference parties. And this strategy will ultimately ladder up into our broader NFT strategy and become a central part of our community building process. So people should check out our Twitter and also our website for more information about how that unfolds. And then that'll lead into the early fall where we're currently starting production on our first two productions with really amazing creators, which we'll announce at a later point in time. Again, we'll launch these by selling NFTs that are central to the story making and storytelling process. It's going to be really, really fun. So keep an eye out on those moments by following us at Twitter at StoryDowXYZ and going to our website. And then moving from there, we're actually creating a product, a platform for all these communities um, to engage in one place. We don't believe that ultimately Discord and Snapshot and Coordinate and whatever bounty and proposal system we use is a good experience that promotes easy community building and deeper network effects. So what we want to do is create one platform, one place, one app for the community to come and vote, govern, and they can immerse themselves in the story, consume the story. And they can also create as a part of the story and collaborate with our fellow creators within the application. And I think that product is like, where you could go to consume content uh, uh, that people are creating to some extent too. So it's like, as we're envisioning this product and as we're starting to build it out, I think there's like an amazing sort of like, we'll call it like the front of house version, but you're in the seats of the theater and you can consume stuff, but you have the ability to go behind the curtain as well Love with that. this product. And it looks a little bit more like Reddit or like Wattpad, and you're able to actually see how the sausage is made and not you can make sausage yourself, you know? And so like that is, I think, how we're envisioning this product with like this super amazing front of house experience. But if you're really interested and you want to start creating, there's this back of house experience. Yeah, you know, there's this whole process of removing the proscenium within StoryDow, right? Of the divide between creators and fans, between studios and fans. And how do you just remove that invisible barrier in a number of different ways, from financing mechanism, from an ownership mechanism, from a community contribution mechanism, from an experiential design mechanism, 
we are fully engaging our community in a whole number of different ways that only Web3 can unlock. And so what excites us the most is unlocking and unleashing all this creative expression and seeing what ultimately comes out of it. Hell yeah, guys, this was so fun, particularly because I just brought my my brother who's eight years younger on. And so seeing this 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 chemistry is is unbelievable. I'm thrilled to be a part of this. Everybody go to storydow.xyz, get involved, watch the content when it comes out, buy the NFTs, most importantly, make the sausage. Alanis brothers, thank you so much. And thanks, Pat. Be real soon. This was fun, man. Thanks. Thank you so much. Appreciate it.